Hey, you found us. Welcome to Comfortably Uncomfortable, Not Another Running Story. I'm Megan Fanning, and I'm joined by Sean Meehan. We created this podcast to continue the real conversations that we have when we get outside to run, bike, surf, climb, or whatever it is that you do. We love the real conversations when boundaries come down, because really, that's when it gets interesting. Hey, gang. We have a favor to ask of you. If you would go to the app that you use to listen to our podcast, please follow and subscribe to our show. This really helps us. And it also really helps you because you will never miss an episode. While you're there, if you could also leave us a five-star rating and a great review. These type of things are super helpful for us because they help our ratings. Last but not least, share this with a friend. There's somebody out there who hasn't heard this and I'm sure would appreciate the share. Thanks, everybody. Hey, good morning, Sean. Morning, Meg. How you doing? I am great. Guess who's on the podcast today? I bet you don't know. I don't know. Tell me more. <laughs> okay, we're literally we're literally looking at him on video. So, um, Phil Garcia is I don't even know how to describe you. I think we I think we met through New Hampshire hiking forums, and you know we started following one another on on Facebook. Um, the reason. I thought it was cool to bring Phil on the podcast is because he is doing all of these amazing adventures. Um, he works really hard. He isn't gifted with natural talent. He actually works at what he's done. He's always looking for an adventure. And Phil, you're like a normal person. <laughs> you know, you you're you're very approachable. You're very kind. And it's always been I, I've noted a lot Um on social media, people, you know, people ask questions all the time in our forum and you always answer them. There's never an attitude. There's never, a, there's never a snobbery about it. And frankly, I think with your achievements, you, it could be justified for you to be a snob given some of the cool things that you've done, but that's not even, that's not even part of you. Um, so welcome to the, welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Thank you both so much. I appreciate the, the invitation to come on and, and talk a little bit about my journey. It's always been very fascinating to me when people sort of assume that I wouldn't be anything other than a completely normal dude. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a very, very normal human being, a very imperfect person. Like most people, I appreciate the compliments. There's probably a couple corners of the internet where uh, you know, a little bit of Worcester has come out in the personality, a mm. little, little, little bit of uh, roughness around the edges. But yeah, I mean, it's the golden rule. You got to just keeps kinda... it keeps it interesting. Of course. Yeah. It gives, <laughs> gives a little bit of character, so to speak. So just start by just if you would just tell us a little bit about yourself, like we can get into the amazing things that you've done. But what does your life look like? Where do you live? What do you do? And how did you how did you start hiking like you do? Hmm. Um, my hiking practice in terms of the way it looks today has definitely been a, a slow build for lack of a better description. I, I went on my first hike in central Massachusetts where I grew up, um, shout out to, uh, Worcester, shout out to mm -hmm. the Mount Wachusett community. And for the first couple years really just approached, um, hiking again, that practice in a very recreational way. My interest started to grow when I first visited the White Mountains of New Hampshire, um, which is a place that I definitely um, cut my teeth to a certain degree, learned a lot of lessons, made all the mistakes that you know a person generally makes when they're first starting to spend time in the outdoors. And um, it, it was up in the North Country that I really started to first develop this super, super deep love affair with not only the practice of hiking, but also 
um, the White Mountains of New Hampshire and traveling long distances on foot, long, long distance backpacking, long distance hiking. And uh, yeah, between between the years of really like 2006 and maybe like 2013, I slipped into this very uh, what some would probably see as aggressive kind of like cyclical lifestyle where I was really like living and breathing um, for this kind of thing. I would I would work all fall, all winter, uh, the early part of, of spring, taking on, you know, any any job that I could. I'm a I'm a filmmaker. I'm a photographer. I've also waited tables. I've delivered pizza. I've um, you know, shot all different kinds of work uh, to try to like fund my adventures. And, um, you know, in the late spring, summer and early fall, I'd be out, you know, th through hiking, taking on these long distance projects. Um, and, and during that time really had like the the privilege of of walking some of the most well-known, some of the most iconic long distance trails in, in the country, um, including you know, long distance trails like the Appalachian Trail, mm -hmm. um, the Long Trail, the Colorado Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, se several other, you know, shorter long distance trails in the country. And, um, you know, a, a lot has sort of like happened between between those years and, and the, these years now. My life does look a little bit different. I'm um, mostly living in the White Mountains of New Hampshire now and and splitting my time when I'm not there between between the Whites and between Worcester, Massachusetts, where I grew up. I still have uh, friends there, lifelong friends there, um, a twin brother there, a sister. Mm. Uh, my mom is there as well. So there's always like these these ties back to central Massachusetts for me. But over the last five years, really, um, I've kind of doubled down on this idea of taking on long distance endur endurance projects, fringe edge endurance projects, you know, not not across the country, mm -hmm. uh, but but in the place again where I cut my teeth, the White Mountains of New Hampshire, and and that that idea of of sort of going really really deep in the White Mountains, giving myself fully to the White Mountains, taking on these projects has. Uh, for better or worse, ruled the entirety of the last, you know, f five years of my life. And um, yeah, I kind of find myself in a position right now where I'm just able to kind of come up, come come up for air and, and mm -hmm. start to uh, start to digest and process some of those some of those big experiences. So that's a very abridged version of yeah. my hiking history. Um, but uh, yeah, that's kind of what my life my life looks like today. I'm 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 working. I'm I'm shooting. Um, I'm also constantly um, conceptualizing, planning, and and executing these. You know, as I describe, um, long distance fringe edge, uh, kind of out there endurance projects in the White Mountains and and sort of greater greater New England area. So I think you use the word projects like I use the word adventures, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so why don't you tell us, I mean, why don't you tell us some of the projects, the amazing things that you've done? I mean, the list is long, um, but tell us, tell us about the ones you want to tell us about. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I kind of just touched base a little bit on like the more what I see as like conventional chapters of my of my hiking and, and long distance hiking history. Um, just taking on these national scenic trails that everybody knows that that you know continue to sort of explode in popularity um, today. Um, but but following the death of my father in 2014 again i just kind of like started to shift my efforts to the white mountains specifically and um yeah have do you have, think to interrupt you for just a sec do you think the death of your dad was the impetus to help you or just to give you a little bit of shove to take it a little deeper and push a little harder and it, it, fueled by grief is 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 what I'm hearing, you know, that yeah, yeah, yeah. the whites found you, you found the whites, you were in that place and it clicked. That's what I hear. Yeah, totally. And um I I absolutely understand what you mean when you when you use the term fueled by grief. I guess for me, I've tried to rewire it into um something that sounds more like uh beauty from chaos. Mm -hmm. Because yes, to your point, like um, for, for anybody who's followed me, you know, at the, at this point over the last several years, 
Um, they kind of know my father passed away from uh, lung cancer in 2014, super aggressive uh, form of lung cancer called non-small cell lung cancer. Mm. And um, it was completely unexpected. He was doing, you know, pull-ups in his backyard at the age of 63 um, in June. And and that that following September, he was dead. Um, so it was, quite, wow. it was quite fast. It was quite unexpected for my family. And you know, it, it was obviously something that had a heavy, heavy emotional Im- impact on my family and, of course, you know, myself as a human being. And um, the interesting thing is, and I've said this before in a lot of interviews, I think when we lose somebody, whether that's a family member, whether that's a spouse, a partner, a pet, what have you, um, there's just this sort of reaction that happens where we're, we're forced to take a look at our own mortality and we're forced to take a good hard look at the decisions we've made in our lives and how we're how we're choosing to live our lives and and you know potentially make some big changes based on you know based on what that looks like for me personally losing my father it didn't exactly play out that way i had always had this strange appreciation for um, sort of the, the the finality of things, just this idea that um, things can come and go. You know, the things that we love the most um, can be gone in in an instant. So I, I didn't necessarily need help appreciating that idea. W- when my father died, it, it it wasn't a life changing experience. It was a life. It it was more of a life affirming or life reaffirming um, experience. You know, because I had already done all this crazy stuff. I had already hiked the the Appalachian Trail, the Long Trail, the PCT. I had already made great sacrifices in my personal life to maximize the amount of freedom I had during this portion of my life, you know, where I was kind of guaranteed these things, health and mobility and and, and physical capacity and youth. Um, when my dad died, I just realized that I needed to double down on that. I needed to triple down, down on that. I needed to take it to a place that I hadn't taken it before. And yes, of course, a lot of that was fueled from just like, yeah, yeah, the grief and and the depression and the anxiety that you go through as a human being when you have to watch somebody you know that you you look up to and you love die in that kind of way. But 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 also you know it, it was fueled by this idea of this is my time. Um, the time is now. I've got my legs now. I've got my lungs now. I've got my my mobility now. I've got the willingness now, um, which is such a huge part of this. Just having your your brain dialed and having your heart full and your you know have a willingness to go out and do this stuff. It was just like you know my dad's gone and and I need to you know I need to really really lean into my into my practice not only to navigate like what you know what i've just experienced here but also to just make sure that i'm like tapping into whatever my human potential is because so mm-hmm. few people actually have the opportunity or again the willingness um to to actually get uncomfortable and and do that in their lives so in response to your question megan um yeah that was a massive turning point for me and in my practice um in in so many ways, and I really don't know if the last five years would have played out in the way that it did if I hadn't watched my father die. It was like such a double-edged sword because, like, um, you know, not to jump too ahead ahead of ourselves here, but you know, when when I think about the mechanisms that I use when I'm out there in the mountains taking on these projects that I'm going to talk about here, and I'm facing friction, I'm facing hardship, I'm I'm facing moments of self-doubt, like you know. I go back to those months, like in my mind, where my father was dying, where I had to watch him, you know, uh, get 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 incubated, you know, get on a ventilator, um, be hooked up to like 50 bags of God knows what, you know, when he's on the edge of of living and dying, and it really gives you that crazy perspective, even when you're like out on Franconia Ridge in the middle of winter in negative 30 degrees and you can't feel your feet anymore and you still have 15 more miles to go or you're not gonna meet your goal for that month. Um, when you're in the middle of this year long project, it really puts things into perspective when you have that vision of your dad, you know, it, you know, sort of existing in that way. It's like, okay, what I'm going through right now is tough, but it pales in comparison to what other people have gone through. Um, and we're just going to like keep on trekking until we get out to the other side. Um, so I know that was a long answer to your question, but like we've spoken a little bit, you know, off air, so to speak, and mm-hmm. just kind of getting like acquainted uh, with each other. And 
Um, I know that I've spent a lot of time trying to trying to really spell out the kind of impact that 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 had on me. Um, it it changed everything. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. For, I'm really really sorry for your loss. I oh, am. A, thank you. I am. Uh, what's the word? It, it does feel. Um, I was gonna say nice. That's the wrong word. It, it just it, there's a beauty in being able to turn it into, um, in, into what you have. That's what I'm stumbling. That's what I'm stumbling over saying. <laughs> you know. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I've lost both of my parents. Um, and my my mom also to like COPD. Um. Oh wow. So so si seeing the similar like ventilator and 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 stuff like that. I I know what that 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 looks like and I don't know like I said I don't know what the relationship with your your father was I assume it, it sounds like you had good relationship with your your father and that like there was um a lot of I guess love and, and there was when your father passed there wasn't a lot of regret in that regard like when my father passed there wasn't regret doing what I do now ultra racing and, and long distance endeavors there's times in those endeavors that i think about my father and 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 how to to a certain extent like i don't there's like i said there's not a lot of regret in my my heart about my relationship with my father but i was like oh man i think he would just dig it so much if he was like out here like a part of that do you do you find that like when you're doing these big projects that your dad would be like, yeah, man, that's awesome. Like, um, you know what, man, like you're really, you're, you're moving me right now. Cause this is something that I do think about a lot. And for whatever reason, like over the last few days, it's just kind of come back into my, into my train of thought. Um, when I first started through hiking and stuff, like my dad was not down for this. Like he was, <laughs> I, you know, I dropped out of my senior year of college to hike the AT, you know, so that I could get like two full-time jobs and, and start hiking the AT. And that was after I disappeared the summer before to hike the long trail, um, just as a sort of tester, like, is this something I really want to do? And my dad, you know, got married at, at a pretty young age and ha had a family and, and built multiple businesses and lived you know, a, 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 a pretty conventional, traditional life as far as life decisions go. So when I started like taking a hard left and making these wild choices, especially when I had a brother and a sister who were actually kind of like, again, following the more conventional life, life track, um, he wasn't down and he didn't see the value in it. And he, he, he didn't, he didn't really, he wasn't able to see it as anything other than just this sort of like, escapism from from the the quote real world and although my dad was alive to see me finish things like the at and the long trail and the colorado trail and the pct and and toward the you know toward the end there in, in the years leading up to his death um he he absolutely you know started to to come around and and I think really appreciated like just the the insanity and the, the ridiculous amount of hard work that goes into what I was doing, even though I wasn't making making like a, a dollar wage. Um, you know, he saw the dedication and the amount of work that it that it that it that it required, and he was willing to ship packages and just you know be a be a beacon of support, even though he was around to see those things. My proudest moments in in my outdoor sort of you know, career um, or my proudest moments that are on my outdoor resume are certainly the ones that have taken place over the last five years. And I just know that if he was here, like he would definitely be, I just have this vision of him like waiting at roads in whatever used car, like, he, you know, he was driving at the time and just kind of, you know, sitting there like smoking a cigarette and his, you know, cut off jean shorts and and just like having <laughs> having like a massive cooler waiting for me. And like that was the thing when he was alive, these these endeavors were always sort of like off there way, way in the distance. The the Pacific Crest Trail, you know, the the Appalachian Trail. He had very few opportunities to like be there and and see me and you know, hug, like hug me while I was actually going through it, um, like in the middle of the journey. And I wish that 
you know, I do wish that he he was around long enough just to be able to to see this chapter like in the White Mountains and to see the level of creativity when it comes to, you know, conceptualizing some of these things and and the level of impact when when you're able to inspire other people and and just the physicality and you know yeah i i just you know wishing won't make it so and that's like the really difficult thing but we still wish nonetheless and um yeah man that's a, a long-winded answer to your question like, <laughs> but 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 i i like feel what you're saying so deeply and I think about it quite a bit and I understand, I'm sure how you, you know, how you feel when you're out there and you're kind of, I don't know, imagining maybe your, you know, your parents being there, parents being able to hold you or touch you or like, you know, hand you a, a bag of ice or something like mm. these simple, these simple things in the middle <clears> of, a, of an act, you know, of a practice that is like so, so meaningful. It's just like we, you know, we want the people that we care about the most to be able to be a part of that. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And it's like, it's just, and it's right. Like in the, in the act, you know, it'd be just a moment in time in the expanse of what we do, right? Like where, but it's just that those moments of time where you would see that person and, 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 you know, I'm married and I see my wife occasionally like at aid stations and stuff like that. And it's just those those moments, they they connect with you so hard in like such a, a meaningful way, like small, brief periods in the expanse of hours between. Absolutely. But I, I think that we, we are in those moments, we are we are we have peeled back so many layers like we we have lifted the veil. And and we allow people like to touch like to touch us in, in like with a depth that perhaps is not available like in our just sort of like rigid hardened day you know day to day life when we're taking all of our comforts for granted you know like when you're out there like really peeling back the layers and you're exposed in that way. It's like, man, okay, cool. I saw this person for 30 seconds, but it might as well have been, you know, th 30 minutes given the context of where you're at emotionally, spiritually, and yeah. also like physically, cause you're just working your ass off while you're out there. Well, it's 100%, right? Like all the pretense and bullshit, like just is gone. There's no, there's no, you can't, uh, you're so, exhausted emotionally and mentally physically that there's you can't put up any of that and i mean megan seen it where you know i was 96 miles into a 100 mile race and they're like what do you want and i was like i just want my wife and i just like cried on her shoulder at like mile 96 of, of the race and was like i just want to be done i just want to be done you know but isn't that why we do this I mean, at least as part of it at least I have so much energy. I'm always looking to just calm down and chill. That's my goal in life. I have to just come down and like ground myself. But I find that being outside and pushing myself, it, it's again, the intro of this pro podcast, you know, when you push yourself like that, all of the facades, all of the fake stuff, all of the things that we might hide, you know, from another person, you can't do it anymore. And all you have is real. And it it sometimes makes me laugh when someone will say, well, you know, don't you think you replaced one addiction with another and, you know, you think you're addicted? I'm like, there's <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we, we, endurance sports are so raw. I was like, this isn't a drug, man. <laughs> this, is, this is, you know, ex, you know, experience through adventure or, you know, or fill your projects, but experience through adventure and life through adventure becomes very, very real. There's no other way around it can't be fake <laughs> yeah yeah for sure um and like I, I you know i'm i'm like my relationship with my practice is like constantly changing and um i'm i'm like entering this season of just like i just like i want to go i just want to go deeper within myself like we can call it a project we can call it an, an adventure we can like call it an an addiction we can call it tr you know trying to sort of like you know bring ourselves to a centered centered place but i just want to maintain a, 
an average or slightly above average level of fitness and endurance so that I can step into these projects, whether it's a 24 hour period, whether it's a seven day period, whether it's a full year period and go as deeply into myself as humanly possible. Cause, cause personally, like if you're in my circle, when I'm, do- when I'm doing that, like everybody's kind of like in a in a better place you know what I mean like I'm operating in a way where I feel deeply fulfilled I feel like I've got my toes in something profound and worthwhile every day Um, I feel like that kind of spreads out to the people who are around me either helping or in in my immediate circle and um, yeah it just sort of you know coats life with this higher level of purpose this deeper level of meaning and the the ability to you know go so far into yourself that you come out the other side with um a greater sense of self-awareness and just yeah a greater sense of what it is you need to extract from this life in order to be spending you know spending your time in 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 the best way possible for you um to your point like no this wasn't sorry to interrupt you this, okay. this, well, this isn't one of your bigger projects. I thought it was cool. This week, why don't you tell us about the full moon hike that you just did? It sounded like you did it on a whim. Um, or I don't know if you're planning it. I couldn't tell. But I, <laughs> tell us about what you just did over the over the full moon because the pictures the pictures are amazing. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah, we haven't we haven't talked since that. Um, it it was on a whim. Um, we'll give a shout out to two two of, in my opinion, the the best photographers in 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 the new england region uh chris shane and chris bennett um both kind of based out of the new hampshire and and maine area uh these guys are really lovely human beings um really talented artists photographers filmmakers and they were going out for an overnight overnight presidential traverse on tuesday into wednesday and basing that around um the full August supermoon that was to take place and the conditions were coming together in the in the presidential range for anybody out there who spent time in in the presidentials you know that um you know to to go out overnight is definitely an unusual uh expedition or you know uh unusual task um and to go out overnight on on the full moon requires a little bit of planning and also luck because you need the conditions to come together. You need the higher summits to be clear. For people Uh, that don't know um, the presidentials, how how long is this route? Yeah, so the presidential traverse is about 18, 19 miles, closer to 19 miles. You're going to climb close to 9,000 feet in vertical gain and summit uh, seven 4,000 footers in the White Mountain National Forest, including Mount Washington, which has a very mm-hmm. infamous reputation. Um, and it's one of the classic test pieces of the uh, of the White Mountains. And uh, a big reason why it is so iconic is is because a large section of that traverse is in the alpine zone, the alpine environment. So very little vegetation, big views, sweeping landscapes, really no cover. Uh, to duck out, to duck out of storm. Yeah, it's it's makes my, me smile. It's my favorite place, literally on the planet, and I haven't been anywhere, but by any means. But like, it is it is my favorite. Even in the in the in the social post that I put up, I you know I said something about you know spending the night in my favorite range of mountains in the planet, and um, yeah, I mean it was you know it was on my bucket list for quite a long time. I saw those guys going out. I knew they'd be like shooting content and having a blast, not just kind of like running down the range in six hours, which is fine. Um, and, you know, asked them if I could join, we had kind of collaborated in the past before and they said that would be great. And, uh, long, long story short, we got started about 90 minutes, uh, within one another. They had a 90 minute head start, um, on me just kind of due to timelines and what have you. And so I hiked from the Appalachia parking lot southbound over Madison, Adams and Jefferson solo. Uh, caught sunset on Mount Madison, which is just like, yeah, absolutely insane. Um, and uh, got up to Mount Adams. There was some low lying fog, so that was totally, totally veiled in in this blowing wind and bl- blowing fog, which you know brings its own strange, ominous um, a- aesthetic to to the hike. You know, the the um, the moon was up at this point, and it was so bright that you still got a little bit of 
of illumination. Um, and this was kind of happening on Mount Jefferson as well. But as I got over Jefferson, um, I was able to kind of jog down and, and catch these guys. Um, so it was Chris and Chris and then three other folks. And we kind of just moseyed on through the night at a pretty steady pace, um, got up over Washington around 1 a.m. and down to Lakes of a Clouds Hut around 1.30 inadvertently woke up uh, a bunch of of AT through hikers who were like <laughs> sleeping on the dining room tables like we when we went inside to like <laughs> fill up on some water and, and get warm because um, it was actually really really cold I remember yeah, yeah it, it was, was actually I was, I was working that night yeah were you okay it was it was super chilly which I loved but um you know we wanted to duck into the hut just to kind of warm up a bit and um yeah coming off Washington and then throughout different points through the Southern presidential range, uh, when, you know, the summits were completely clear. I mean, the moon was just so bright. You could walk easily without a headlamp on. And, um, you know, the Southern presidentials were, were much clearer, much calmer. Um, at a certain point, you know, three o'clock, four o'clock hour, things kind of start to turn into a little bit of a slog. Cause personally I had been awake for like 36 hours at that point. And you're like walking through the night and you're kind of just like mm -hmm. in this tunnel of, your headlamp and the moonlight. Um, but yeah, we got out on the other side at about 5.15, um, was able to turn my headlamp off for like literally the last 10 minutes of the jog out <laughs> and um, spent about 11 and a half hours out there, total elapsed time. Um, again, it's been a bucket list item of mine for a while. Um, it's an easy one to miss, as I wrote in the social post, just because you have to walk through the night, you have to have the the clear conditions to to you know ju justify um, going up there to see the moon, and then also, and this is the case with like any of these like weird like calendar day projects. This wasn't a project, but we walked through the night. You know, really messes up your sleep like for the next <laughs> day or two, because um, like we got out of the woods at five fifteen. I got back to um, North Woodstock at the Notch Hostel where I live and work throughout the year. Um, and got in the back of my car and probably slept for like two hours and then like really couldn't like sleep anymore, like in the broad daylight. Um, you're talking to two people that have done shift work for a long time. Exactly. So yeah, well, it's, it messes you up. Yeah. And like Sean, like, I mean, like with the hundred milers and stuff, man, where mm -hmm. you're going like 24 hours or more. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know that for me, like e even getting like a little bit older, I'll turn 40 next year. That's really the only difference I see in like my physicality, my energy level, my endurance, my recovery, like there is absolutely nothing different um, from from the person that I was in, in my 20s, with the exception of if I go all night and I go like 24 hours without sleep, where I could literally just be like, you know, pretty functional the next day, like professionally <laughs> if I needed to be, or I could like hold my, hold my shit together. It's like now I kind I kind of need like a, you know, I need a day to like, just get eight hours, get 10 hours, get 12 hours, try to catch up a little bit. Um, I hear the Rolling Stones in my head. What a drag it is getting old. Like of all things for me, like, I'm cool with that, you know, because like yeah. I said, if the recovery is still on point and I can still go as far as I want to go, like I'm happy to, you know, lock in and get a, get a little extra sleep if I need it. So what project are you working on now? What big, big project? Yeah, like right. this is an interesting season for me because um, like I kind of alluded to previously, I've really spent like the last five years um, heavily committed to to major what what I see as the two biggest long distance endurance projects in, in the White Mountain National Forest. Um, and those two projects are probably like the two projects that I'm also just like best known for if there you know, if there's anybody that's familiar with me and, and that sort of like White Mountains endurance circle, they probably know me for one of these two projects. And uh, the first being the single year grid, um, mm -hmm. where I climbed all 48 4,000 footers in the White Mountains of New Hampshire start to finish every month for um, 12 months officially, 13 months unofficially. It's a little nuance there. Um, but yeah, fin finish the, the, the grid, a, a project that, you know, 
generally takes 12 months of hiking and, and 319 days and and went out to you know complete that project in in, in the fastest possible time um and the other project is a project that i call the single season white mountains guide which uh that's what i was thinking of oh okay yeah, yeah. um the single season white mountains guide which um luckily was completed last year um after three the first word that comes to mind is grueling but it was also beautiful and life-changing summers uh you know three 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 attempts at um effectively hiking every trail in the official white mountains guide in a single summer season from june 21st to september you know 22nd 23rd it, it shifted over the years um, there's been less than a hundred people who have completed the guidebook in any, you know, any period, period of time. Um, there's been one gentleman who's gone out and completed it within a year. And for me, um, you know, the, the, the next step in terms of pioneership with the guidebook was to go and, and also as a sort of follow up to the single year grid, um, was to try to get it in a single season. Like we were a very list based culture. In, in the White Mountains of New Hampshire and all across New England. And, and we, we try to do these lists or certain lists in certain periods of time. We try to give them a single season superlative. So a lot of people try to hike the, the 48, 4,000 footers in, in New Hampshire in a single season winter. So you'll hear the term single season, uh, you know, White Mountains winter. And now even more people are, are starting to go out and try to do the New England 67 4,000 footers in a, in a single season winter. And so for me, I wanted to apply this, this superlative to the White Mountains Guide, which when you take into consideration the fact that the White Mountains Guide has 650 trails and you have to hike close to 2,000 miles with all the backtracking to get a full completion is like, you know, when you when you try to put the single season superlative on that, it becomes an absolutely insane project you know especially when you um also take into consideration like the guidebook covers a massive geographic area um you're hiking all the way up at the at the canadian border in in northern new hampshire down to the squam lakes region in um you know southern white mountains over to the you know connecticut river uh vermont border and really over to like literally uh the guidebook covers trails that go into like extreme western maine and um, yeah, uh, like th those those two projects, I think, have been um, sort of the, yeah the the biggest like the biggest long distance endurance projects that I that I've taken uh, on in in the White Mountains. But I'm I'm very very lucky to say that I'm I am not currently working on either of them because they've both been completed and they've been and they've been documented and they've kind of been vaulted um so vaulted. when you get when you get these ideas how do you plan i mean like how do you because the, the logistics of that alone of of all the trails like it, it almost makes my head blow up how do you how do you make it attainable i mean how do you make it so like it is an insane idea but it's insanely awesome yeah. <laughs> but how yeah. do you make it reality what's your process um i mean to be honest with you <clears throat> the first the first step in the process is like not listening to the opinions of the thoughts opinions and perceptions of what you're doing um when it's coming from virtually anybody else you know if you have like a small inner circle of people who like genuinely love you and support you and want to see the best for you um then of course you know those people have opinions and it's important to hear them out but um for me, the first step is to just like understand that no one else is even trying to do these things, the single year grid, the single season white mountains guide. Um, so for all intents and purposes, like, you know, th their opinion should be kept at a minimum um, when it comes to like your decision making and your self belief and like what you perceive as being possible in like this whole game. Um, and for me, secondly, depending on, you know, the project that you're that you're taking on, the single year grid looked a lot different than something like the single season White Mountains Guide, um, the single year grid. You know, you're talking about 48 like finite points, even though that's very aggressive to, to try to get to all of those like in a single month and then repeating that for 12 months, like 
for most people, there really like isn't a lot of logistical or like, you know, strategic thought behind it. It's like um, in, in like the three season months, you know, spring or like late spring, summer, fall, you can pretty much just like hit these peaks however you want based mm -hmm. on what the weather is doing. Um, in the winter, for me, as soon as the first hit, as soon as like a weather window and my free time hit when it was a new month, I was going out in the winter and like taking care of all of what I saw as like the, the problem areas. So as soon as I could get the presidential range done, I would do it because the last thing that I wanted to do was be put in a position where like I've got, you know, 41 peaks done for the month and it's the last week and there's like this horrible weather pattern you know where in the in the winter it's like there are just days where you absolutely cannot be up there there are days in the summer where it's like that um but in the winter especially it's like you will probably die like the likelihood of you dying is greater than coming out the other side with your peaks and so i always wanted to el eliminate like those big problem areas throughout the 48 um as soon as like i could as soon as i got a weather window um, the first of the month. So, you know, mountains like the presidential range, mountains like the Wildcat Carter Mariah Traverse, because basically everything that comes through the presidential range blows onto that range of mountains and they get like one and a half times like the, the precip in the, in, in the winter that like um, that the presidentials do. And it makes that whole range super problematic. You have to split up that traverse into three different hikes just because there aren't people linking up um, you know, the Wildcats with the Carters, with Mount Moriah, you kind of have to be a little familiar with the geography of these peaks to truly understand what I'm talking about right now. But, um, yeah, in the winter, like there was some strategy, but overall for the, for the single year grid, you know, you're just basically like knowing yourself, knowing how many peaks you can put in per week without getting, um, you know, either injured and without falling behind that mandatory minimum. Cause you did have to, you had to get them done. You had to put in like 50 to 60 to 80 miles a week every week throughout the year um, to make sure that you hit those monthly goals so that the month was clean and you could move on to the next. Um, but there wasn't a lot of strategy. It was more just like brute force. Um, when it comes to the single season White Mountains Guide, obviously it is completely different because you're working with a much smaller period of time and you're not working with 48 finite finite points you're not even working with like 48 trails like you're dealing with 650 trails um you know that's going to be 1400 miles of clean hiking 2000 miles of of overall hiking by the time you do all that backtracking so you had to backtrack track about 25 percent um of the total mileage uh maybe a little a little bit less and um like I said, I, I went through this process three summers in a row, twice where I fell short of the single season superlative and once where I actually got it. And there was uh, a, a range of 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 difficulties that would that would rise in each of those summers um, that that inevitably, like, you know, for the first two pre prevented me from from getting, you know, getting the single season superlative. We're circling back to your question the very first summer there was no planning um mm. and that was an absolute you know i've said this multiple times like on multiple interviews that was probably like the biggest mistake i've ever made in my life um i had finished the single year grid the year before i had just hiked 3,000 miles and climbed a million vertical feet in 319 days i felt like i rewired my own brain and showed my contemporaries in the white mountains community that there's no rules that like you can go out there and you can do these things um and you don't have to be like some gifted athlete or have like any kind of natural ability you can just have a vision and work your ass off and, and make it happen and i was you know operating in a place of just like ultimate self-belief and so for me you know the single year grid coming out of that is like the hardest thing i had ever done just in terms of juggling a full-time job, driving to all these trails. We had a record winter in 1819. I said to myself, this is going to be like a summer through hike. These trails are <laughs> going to be tough. They're going to be spread out, but I know who I am. Now I have a better idea of what I'm capable of, you know, in terms of a, a of an ultra runner hiker, you know, versus a, versus a through hiker. Um, I don't need to put any kind of a plan together. I just need to go out there with a bunch of maps. I need to average, you know, let's just say 20, 20 miles a day. 
22 miles a day. That would be the mandatory minimum. And um, just make it happen. You know, I thought I could rely on my on on my my sort of my physicality alone to just get through this stuff. And I remember even thinking to myself, like, well, it doesn't matter. Even if I'm, you know, way behind the last week or the last two weeks and um, I've got to put in 30 or 35 miles a day every single day to catch back up, like, I know I can do that. But I had absolutely no idea what this project would be like and how much it would differ from anything and everything I've I've ever done in 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 the White Mountain National Forest and just in like my through hiking career it was a completely different beast it humbled me immediately that first year um I spent 99 days on trail averaging just over 20 miles a day I didn't take a single day off like I said, traveled from Canada down to the Squam Lakes over to Vermont, over to Maine, and um, literally would just pull out maps <laughs> based, based on where I was that day. I, I took my, my passenger seat out of my Toyota Yaris. I took the back row out of my Toyota Yaris. I built a sleeping, sleeping platform in there, turned it into like a little Toyota Yaris micro camper. That's awesome. <laughs> li li lived, lived at the trailheads. Um, had a woman named Joe Bisco um, helping me, um, doing a lot of cooking, helping me, me with resupply, helping me with just like point to point logistics, car spots, these types of things. And we methodically sort of made our made our way down, um, you know, down the network. But, you know, with with no warm up, with no recon, without ever like having had to pursue a goal in that way where you're living out of your car, you're, you're, you have to, you have to like so many, there's so many days where you have to have logistical support and point to point support and getting dropped off and like have your cooler refilled. Um, there's so many days where, you know, you may be 20 miles into your day and you really need to get 25 for that day and you end and the only feasible, you know, portion of the guidebook where you can get another five or six miles without turning it into like an all night thing, you know, it could be 30 minutes away. It could be 40 minutes away. You might have to drive an hour away. Um, it was extremely complex. It was super confusing at times, developing a system and mechanisms to, you know, keep track of all the trails you had hiked, labeling the data. It was like, you know, that first summer, not going in with the plan and just feeling like you could get through it with brute force. Um, it, it was, there was a massive learning curve and, um, I missed the single season superlative by I think six days, but it's actually like a miracle that I even made it that close. Um, because, you know, I was basically just like throwing a plate of spaghetti at, at the wall and seeing like what, what actually stuck. It was very experimental. Um, I absolutely should have called it a recon mission. I uh, should have spent that summer really in like recon mode where I was able to fully understand the cadence in which you have to move in which you have to move um, on a data basis, understand the points of friction that you will face just in terms of like resupplying yourself and making sure that like you have quality fresh food, you have food that you can bring on the trail, you're getting three, four, five, six, seven thousand calories per day. Um, you have somebody waiting for you. At, at your ending point because there's no logistical way to get the 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 trails that you need um you know without without having somebody waiting it was just a massive massive learning experience and um you know i don't know I'll, I'll let you kind of guide how how much deeper we get into it but you know over those next two years so so the first year that i went out was 2020 i, I hiked the single year grade in 2018 2019 so august 2018 to july 2019 june 2020 so less than a year later um i was out starting the first swing on the single season white mountains guide finished that in 99 days uh fell short by six the following summer, I went out again, 150% in retrospect, should have taken a year off because I was already like super burnt out um, just going into the start of that project, but had gone through and looked at all the data I had collected the year before, had gone through in an application called Gaia, had re you know taken all this data, laid it over multiple maps. I mean, for 2000 miles, I think I 
ended up doing each summer um, somewhere between like 230 and 250 individual hikes to get to get that to get that in. Wow. And and like in, by individual hikes, I mean, on either end, I'm I'm touching the door of a car, you know, but before before I go out and and move again. So maybe I'm not moving. Maybe I'm not driving anywhere. Maybe I'm just heading out from there and going to a different place. Sometimes I am moving to a different section of trail to get up, you know, to get set up for for a different stretch. But, you know, 2000 miles of hiking in in 250 individual hikes in 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 90 days. Or, I mean, it's just like it was a massive project. It was a massive puzzle to try to to try to put together. And and even even going into that second summer, um, much more prepared, um, much more experienced. It's it still wasn't necessarily you know, it still wasn't necessarily the 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 key to get the job done. And I'll kind of, you know, touch on maybe like one or two other points here and that then let you kind of guide where we go next. But um, and this is all like very much an abridged, abridged version. Like I've I've given like full 90 minute presentations just on the single season White Mountains Guide, its nuances, its complexities and what have you. But, um, you know, going into that second summer and coming out the other side, I finished like 10 days over the single season superlative. So on paper, I was getting slower. On paper, I was doing more planning on the front end hmm. and getting slower on the back end. And I think a lot of people question that second year, what happened? I think one of those people was myself, you know, because, you know, I kind of realized maybe like, six, seven days out that I wasn't going to hit it. And like both, both summers, I realized, you know, this, this idea of like, oh, if I'm, if I'm behind the last two weeks and I can just do 30 or 35 or even 40 miles a day, like, I don't care. Like I'll push. I know I'm that strong. Like that whole concept totally went out the window because it isn't possible. Like the amount of starting and stopping and moving and starting and stopping and moving and cord, like it is not conducive to doing that kind of mileage. When you're out on the AT, you're, yeah, when you're out on the AT or you're on like a linear project, linear footpath, and you say, hey, from, you know, Glen, Glencliff to, you know, Gorham is 150 miles or something, like, you can absolutely predict how fast you'll travel through that section based on the elevation and the terrain and what have you, um, and get out the other side with like not much of a problem. But that's because you're basically like waking up in the same place that you went to sleep, getting all your stuff together, using the bathroom that's like right next to you, you know, dipping into your food bag that's right next to you. You're moving on, going to sleep, waking up in the same place. There's very little resistance, very little distractions, very, very, very little friction. And when you're working on something like the single season White Mountains Guide, it is the antithesis of that. There are in incredible amounts of distraction. There's incredible amounts of friction. There's car issues. There's gas. Again, there's food, resupply, like gear, these types of things, and and to to put all of the weight into like a two-week period at the end or a one-week period at the end where you've been going for 80 days already, no days off, like 20 miles a day, 6,500, 6,600 feet per day, like it's just, it isn't practical to try to execute in that kind of way. Um, and I think like at the end of that second season, when I was actually like knocked down at the end, you know, and I and I didn't get it in time, um, I I I changed up my my thought process, which was I don't want to like get up immediately and just like start planning. I want to like stay down here and figure out like why I'm down again, right? Like why can't I get this? Where where's the barrier? Where's the wall? It's because it's not like how much I can hike in a day. Like it's, it's that, that is not it. Um, there's some other barrier that's taking place probably mentally. And, and that's what it was. Um, that's preventing me from actually like hitting my potential on this route. And so to kind of bring the, you know, the story full, full circle, um, going into this, this past summer. So summer 2022, my third attempt, 
I was going out there with a pretty like strict mentality. This was going to be the last attempt. If I didn't get it on this, on this try, um, I was going to move on to something else. Um, I was also going out there with like this thought, this thought process that like, whether or not I get it, this season is going to depend on where I'm at mentally and not where I'm at, at physically. Because even though I was like burnt out the year before, I was still ready to go and capable of putting the miles in each season. But in 2022, I think the big difference for me was I went in with like this super, super, super deep level of self-respect not only self-respect but but real real respect for the project and 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 the fact that this project was 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 really kind of like at the edge of what I was capable of and I don't think I had ever really given it that respect before um I also went into the project with a deeper sense of accountability a deeper sense of diligence a deeper sense of follow-through and just like a mirror pointed at myself the entire time because when you didn't when you didn't finish the second time how did you how did you go through this emotional process did you actually say i need to slow down i mean emotionally i need to slow down and respect what i'm doing i mean how did you how did you address that internally well, I mean, it was it was very to me, it was like very obvious that it was like an emotional, mental, spiritual block and not a physical one, because like I had worked out, I had worked through like all my self-doubt when it came to the physicality of the project. I knew that I could go out there and I could do 20 plus miles a day, six, six thousand plus feet of climbing every day for 90 days or 92 days or whatever, whatever it was without without a day off. I knew that I could do that. And I knew that I could probably do a little bit more than that if I needed to. And so it's like, okay, if it's not the physical, then, then what is it? And then you start to, again, like put this mirror up and you start to really have like the tough conversations with yourself. And, and, and the tough conversations looked like, why, why, you know, why were you, why were you stopping at 5 p.m. on certain days? Okay, yeah, cool, you were out there for 10 hours. But why were you stopping at five when you know you should have been going till eight? Why were you starting at eight o'clock um, when you know you should have been starting at six? And what were what was the answer to those questions? Um, the, the the answer was was because I was lacking self respect. I was lacking respect for the difficulty of the project and what was actually required to get it done. I was so willing to like trade what i wanted those first two summers i was so willing to trade what i wanted in that moment um in exchange for what I, what i wanted in the big picture I, I was willing to drive back to the notch hostel at night to get a shower even if it meant losing miles i was i was willing to um you know edit all these beautiful photos and keep like my audience like you know in involved even if it meant missing missing out on miles like that's just like not how you operate you need to operate in the in in the with the opposite mentality you 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 need to you need to be able to trade what you want in the moment for 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 the the bigger picture so go without those things because you know that there's this this goal that there is this this standard on the horizon that that you're capable of hitting and that like if you if you if you trade you know if you if you trade your time now for what you want because it's going to bring you a little bit of pleasure a little bit of instant gratification a little bit of that dopamine hit guess what you're, you're taken away from like you know what what is waiting for you down the line and like i just wasn't willing to do that last year like i was not willing to go through the process of having to figure out why it went wrong i was not willing to go through the process of like asking for so much help because it literally takes a village you know and you and you feel like you're you're wasting people's time when you don't come out the other end you feel like um you feel like you are disrespecting people because when when people believe in you 
and and you don't believe in yourself and you're not able to come out the other side it's like you know it, it just kind of makes you feel like you're like you're like you're lacking a little bit like like their like their belief in you is superficial for some for some way and and for me like that was all part of this of this like sort of realization where it was like you need to be more accountable you need to stop working to like prove people wrong and start working to prove the people who believe in you correct that was a massive shift shift in my psychology on that third year you know like i remember just the first couple years just like kind of having a chip on my shoulder and like you know what like you know hearing what people would say after i after i didn't hit hit the mark on the first summer and and reading what people would write after i didn't hit the mark on the on the second summer and it's just like it's such a waste of time and energy you're if you're thinking along those lines if you're working just to prove people wrong you're already operating from a losing mentality you have to like draw on the energy of the people who believe in you um including yourself you need to stop making excuses tap into your accountability and like re like really really have the practice come from a level of discipline and not motivation. Like I feel like that's like a really hot topic right now in the endurance we've world. Of, like, we've talked about that a lot on the okay. pod. Yeah, like, we, we're with you. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's so true. Like motivation, like <laughs> is a is a joke. Um, yeah. and I, I always say it's stupid. Yeah, it's dumb. Yeah, <laughs> and and it's it's actually the devil in a lot of ways because mm -hmm. like it like you're gonna convince yourself that like if you're not doing what you're supposed to, it's because you lack motivation. And even on the opposite end, if, if, if you if you are doing what you're supposed to, like it's because of motivation, but it's like, no, it's it's it has to do, as both of you know, with the with the level of discipline and, and level of momentum that you're able to tap into um, you know, from the moments that you are motivated, but also from the moments where you're not, because you should be doing what you need to do, regardless of how you feel in all of these things are what were pouring into my brain after I realized like that second season, like, dude, it has nothing to do with your legs and lungs. This is not a legs and lungs thing. You're like, you're, you're, a, you're a scrappy, gritty kid. Like you already know this. So what's going on wrong with your brain and how do we address it? And that whole nine month period before stepping up to the plate again, um, was spent really like having those those hard conversations and really trying to foster a deeper level of respect for the project um for 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 just the trail in general for my practice in general for the people that support me and um yeah that was being done with the hopes that like on the other end i could kind of come out you know hitting that hitting that mark and like Ah, thank God, man. <laughs> thank God I did. Cause, uh, I was, I was pretty serious. Like, it's just, you know, and this it's is these an are awesome like, accomplishment. Thank you. Um, I, yeah, just, I mean, lot. it's, it's, I don't, I don't know how many people understand yes. what 20 plus miles a day for three fucking months with 6,000 feet of vert aside from any other logistics like I have to get down the King of Mangas Highway and there's a bunch of traffic and I can't make it and like I have to be at this trailhead and I have to wake up at this aside from all that if you were to get up and do 20 miles with 6k vert every day from your house just that alone is ridiculous like like legitimately that is a hard ask there's i mean the physicality of it the discipline of that any of aside from like i said any of the logistical aspects of it is is insane and i don't know i don't know how many people can really wrap their head around that and i don't i i would legitimately say there's probably not many i've i've done a lot of running in my life. I can't picture doing 20 miles with 6K vert every day for that. Like the, the sole focus, discipline, and like, no lie. I mean, there's there's a, a ridiculous amount of selfishness and prioritization to do that that like exists that I don't even, like, it's just, that's baffling to me. It's and like I said, I've been in those training blocks where that becomes a part of it. And that's, that's, 
I mean, not to like toot your horn, but that's super impressive in, in all regards. And to do it three summers in a row is, is ridiculous. Hey, podcast family. Quick heads up. Phil Carcia, our humble king of the White Mountains, is such a great episode. You're going to love it. It's really a great listen. This is part one of two. So just to let you know, the second part will continue on our next drop in two weeks. Enjoy. Men just aren't the same today. I hear every mother say they just don't appreciate that you get tired. They're so hard to satisfy. You can tranquilize the old man. So go running for a shelter of a mother's little helper and for help you through the night. Help to minimize your flight. Doctor.